For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we really would love to hear from our listeners and what everyone would like to hear more of or any questions related to the current state of geopolitical affairs. As always, you can find our email in the show notes and we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, just scroll down and you'll see the email at the bottom of the show notes. Yeah, but let's get let's get into it. So, what's on your radar this week? All right, as always, uh, Russia Ukraine. We're going to do a lot of uh, Russia and Ukraine because a lot went on uh, this week, especially with mm-hmm. Ukraine Independence Day. Uh, so, we'll talk about all that. Uh, we'll talk about the UN inspectors that want to access a nuclear power plant uh, that's held by Russia but still has Ukrainian workers there. We'll get into uh, Russia's possible use of tactical nukes Uh um yeah so interesting (laughs) interesting story there and an interesting point of view um after that obviously we're going to talk about china because uh china continues to push the envelope in taiwan they keep inching forward then we're taking a page out of putin's playbook just right yeah and we're gonna we're going to discuss exactly that the Putin playbook that China's oh. going through so <laughs> should be it's interesting like I know what I'm talking about sometimes <laughs> um after that we'll go into the US I don't know if everybody thinks we don't uh harp on the US enough and the things that they do but this week uh oh, US we know we know, <laughs> the, yeah. we, <laughs> we know we have problems <laughs> So we'll get right into that because uh, Iran and the U.S. are are going back and forth with words, missiles, all kinds of things. And we'll talk about that. It is there's a lot to get into. And after all that, we will get into history's mysteries with the spy who could have prevented World War Two. Okay, so what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? So, well, this week marked the uh, six-month anniversary. Is that even an anniversary? Anniversary is yearly? I don't I don't think it matters. I think it's okay. just whenever you want to... Well, I mean, usually it's a celebration, so I don't know if I'd call it an anniversary, oh, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, there was celebrations going on because of Ukrainian Independence Day. But, yeah, it's, the, uh, it's six months since the start of the quote-unquote special military operation. <laughs> uh, but we, you know, we call it. Putin's war in Ukraine, because that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some tragedy there. 21 people were killed uh, this week, and another 22 were injured in a Russian missile strike on a train station in Chepene, which is a region in central Ukraine. Um, at, also this week, the White House released a report saying that Russia is looking to install illegitimate proxy officials uh, in the areas of Ukraine that are now under Russian control. So, first, obviously it's a tragedy, um, as is each death during this 
conflict. Um, six months in, and the news coming out of Ukraine just gets more and more and more tragic. But um, I have a question about the proxy officials. What is the benefit of Russia putting those people into power? All right, so installing proxy officials would actually help Russia pass a referendum in those regions that would then officially annex those locations, uh, thus installing them as Russian territory. So okay. they've, they've done this before with Crimea and other regions, and uh, it's actually something that was believed to be in the works during the initial push into Kiev. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it was thought that uh, if you remember, there was a lot of assassination attempts on President Zelensky. So yes. the, the thought was that once Zelensky was assassinated, uh, there'd be a new leader that would be installed by Russian loyalists. Um, and then the country would just be totally given over to Russia. That makes sense. I'm really glad that that didn't happen, though. Yes. Do, do you think that could still happen, the Kiev proxy control? Oh, yeah, I mean, definitely. So nothing is off the table for Putin, and, um, and that especially is the goal. As he gets more, especially as he gets more desperate, right? Exactly. Because he thought this and, was going to in and out. <laughs> he thought and, this and, would be done already. So that is the problem, is the, the more desperate he gets and the more desperate Russia gets to, uh, to control Ukraine and to get those, mm-hmm. military, uh, those military victories, the, the closer we get to a, a nuclear war in the region we'll talk later about that because they know if things like putin knows if things do not go the way he wants and this conflict ends with ukraine still you know maintaining its sovereignty they're gonna have to pay for everything that they did yep uh financially with war crimes you know legally that kind of stuff and and all this is a precursor to that you know to, to installing proxy people Okay, well, we'll keep following that news for the next few weeks to see how it plays out. Now, can you talk further about the nuclear power plant that UN inspectors are pushing to access and why they want to access it? Yeah, so let's get a little background on the power plant. Um, and, I mean, you're, Tiana, you'll remember some of this information from previous episodes. Okay. Uh, it's the power plant that is uh, Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which... That's been under Russian control for months, pretty much right yeah. after the, the invasion. Um, it is the largest nuclear plant in Europe. And so this week, Russia is starting to warn that if something were to go wrong, hint, hint, mm-hmm. the fallout of that could reach parts of Germany. <gasps> and they also mentioned Slovakia in there. But Germany's a huge, uh, I mean, that yeah. to name Germany specifically is huge. Now, yeah, that power plant is of strategic importance to Russia because it's about 200 kilometers or for everybody listening in America, 125 miles. <laughs> Why uh, are we such freaks? <laughs> yeah. we. I mean, I love it only because that's what I grew up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, uh, it's like I said, it's about 200 kilometers from Crimea. Mm-hmm. Um, that, now that means, so if the winds were to turn into a diff- in a different direction, the fallout would actually reach parts of Crimea. Yeah. Um, so the rumor right now is that there will be a false flag event on the power plant that Russia could use to then blame Ukraine for causing yeah. an extreme nuclear incident. And uh, and then they can blame Ukraine for harming parts of Europe that are outside the country. That's what I was about to say, is if something did go wrong and the wind did go towards Crimea, that they would blame Ukraine for it. Exactly. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. 
All right, this is kind of a weird question, but could Russia do that and control where the clouds of radiation move? That's a weird question, but... <laughs> well, I mean, it all falls under who holds the... Uh, who controls the weather machine this month? The U.S. And, government. Oh, that's every month, though. That's every month. <laughs> but with conspiracies aside... Yeah. Um, I don't think they could actually control the radiation or the fallout. Um yeah. But by the way, hold on. By the way, we don't actually believe that there is a machine <laughs> that controls the weather all over the planet. Okay, so don't, don't. <laughs> thank, Listen, thank you don't for that. Don't take that seriously. I just wanted to clarify that we aren't like that deep into the conspiracy like that. But every conversation is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I like hearing people's theories and stuff, but we don't personally believe that exactly okay. yeah um, sorry thank you for Didn't putting you... that out there yeah sorry for cutting you off <laughs> nope no problem um so what what i was saying was you know they couldn't they probably couldn't control the the radiation or the fallout and where that goes um yeah but they could track the forecast of wind direction and the forecast mm -hmm. of the speed of the wind yeah and then follow through with the false flag attack when it would be most beneficial for their cause um, so that's what the UN inspectors want to prevent. Well, if they're meteorologists or anything like ours, they're not going to be able to predict anything correctly. <laughs> Except for the ones in Monterey. Oh, well, yeah. It's 70 degrees. Tomorrow it'll be 70 degrees. The next day it'll be 70 degrees. Oh, I miss that weather. I do too. Yeah, uh, okay. But recently... The uh, power plant has been hit by munitions, and both mm -hmm. countries, Ukraine and uh, and Russia, denied that they had involvement in trying to uh, blow up parts of that nuclear power plant. And Russia has been making public statements, like I said before, about how an attack on the plant would actually affect Germany specifically. Right. So that's something that they usually do before they carry out a false flag event and so that's the magic concern. magically predict it beforehand and then go ah oh, we told you so yes <laughs> we said exactly how it would happen well i think i saw that you know the electricity to that power plant was cut off for a little while it right? it was thank you for bringing that up because it, it was and to uh, so today we're recording on Friday because we had a few delays, yeah. but yeah. Um, but this morning for us, so afternoon time for Ukraine, um, mm -hmm. President Zelensky came out and said crisis was averted and the power did go back to the power okay. plant. All right. Good deal. Well, in the beginning, you said we would talk about tactical nuclear weapons. Could Russia use a tactical nuclear weapon on the plant? thus increasing the chances of extreme devastation in nearby European countries. I mean, nothing is off the table. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't know that that would be, at this moment, I don't know that that's yeah. the best thing for them to do. It Would um, it ever be the best thing to do, though? I mean, it's... For them, I, for, their, for their bottom line? Yeah, well, like I've said, I think I say this uh, maybe once a month, but, you know, it's like a cat in a corner, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's gonna it's that's what putin can get into he could yeah. become a cat in a corner and then you have no idea that what what's gonna what's happen. gonna happen or the yeah. reaction that he's gonna have mm -hmm. um but it's gonna be hard for them to explain how a tactical tactical 
nuclear weapon. <laughs> that I had... liked how you tried to combine those two words. Tactical. I, I think we should. Attacular. <laughs> a tactacular. A tacular oh, weapon. That sounds like an exclamation, like of being excited. <laughs> yeah. This is tactacular. Tactacular <laughs> weapons. Right. But Ukraine does not have that. Um, no. They do not have a tact tactical nuclear weapon. You tried to do it again. <laughs> I know. We're going to make it happen. We're going to put it in there. Uh, Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going way back. Mm -hmm. um, we need to stay on task here. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I actually have more fun with the uh, the pop culture references. And <laughs> but right now, yeah. The, uh, the best course of action is mm -hmm. to do what the U.S. has asked and other countries yeah. and create a demilitarized zone around the area. And, tr you know, don't squabble over who owns the area or who's allowed to have access. Well, will Russia let the U.N. inspectors gain access to that area? See, there's a, another really good question, because earlier in the week, mm -hmm. it was Russia who started saying <clears throat> that they needed to have UN inspectors come in. But recently, right. towards the end of this week, those statements have turned over. So they've completely stopped all dialogue with UN inspectors and have said they are not going to be allowed. Shocked. Hmm. Why? Oh, why would they change their minds like that? So I believe it has something to do with this week's celebration of Ukrainian independence. Right. So Russia tried to stop Ukraine from speaking at the UN, and no one voted in favor of the Ukrainian boycott. So it's my belief that, you know, Russia got, there's a scientific term here, <laughs> Russia got butthurt about it. And so now they're reassessing the friendliness towards the UN. Okay, well, is there anything else you wanted to discuss about Russia's tactical nukes? Tacticular nukes. Tacticular nukes. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that's. I don't know if that's a. Yeah, that's not how use. we. That's tactic. All right, just stop. We'll brainstorm right. it. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> so this week I was asked for insight into the willingness of Russian President Putin to use mm -hmm. nuclear weapons in Ukraine. So since that article is behind a paywall. I wanted to just talk about the concern and what the analysis says in that regard. That sounds good. The mic is yours. Why, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's the question that was asked, and uh, it was posed to me. With the war about to hit its six-month anniversary and with Russian casualties continuing to mount, uh, with Putin out of options, could he resort to tactical nukes to try to definitively turn the conflict in his favor before NATO is able to station more troops on the border via incoming members, Finland and Sweden. All right. Give us the answer. Okay. Now I gave a long drawn out answer because that's what I do. Uh, but I'm going to try to give the cliffs notes here. Um, I'm going to try to touch on every aspect of my analysis. So first, this is exactly what I said right at the beginning. The short nuanced or the short non-nuanced answer is maybe. Oh, so I put it at a, Above a 50-50 probability that he'll use tactical nuclear weapons. And my reasoning was that in June of this year, as Russia began to increase its nuclear threat levels, uh, it then changed the policy on the use of nuclear weapons. And that new policy states, the Russian Federation reserves the right to use nuclear weapons in response to the use of nuclear and other types of weapons of mass destruction against it and or its allies. 
And also, in the event of aggression against the Russian Federation involving the use of, and I really want to highlight this here, the use of conventional weapons when the very existence of the state is under threat. Oh, wow. I want to highlight. They can just change Yes. Change the paper, not the paperwork, but, you know, change the rules like that. That's nice. And there's a lot <laughs> that you can get into about yeah, all of what's said and how things can just change like you just said. You and can just... what is considered a conventional weapon to Exactly. Them? A baseball bat? like <laughs> Right. And what is the very, you know, threat to the very existence of the state? Yeah, that's scary. Now, here's what's interesting about that. It's mm-hmm. the current attacks on Crimea which is part of the Russian Federation, from Ukraine. And that could be seen as a conventional weapon that threatens the very state of Russia. So if that is how Putin sees it, he has authority to utilize tactical (coughs) nuclear weapons to hit strategic Ukrainian military sites. And the longer that this war goes on without significant Russian military gains, it's the more likely that Putin is going to use those tactical nuclear weapons. Well, I appreciate both the analysis and the Cliff's Notes because I like brief explanations <laughs> of things. You're welcome. <laughs> I lose I lose my like concentration very quickly, but so should we move to the ever concerning situation in the Asia Pacific? Yes, and you said ever concerning and that continues to be because things are not improving in that arena. Hmm. So China continues to stage military assets closer and closer to the island of Taiwan. Um, And then this week, there was a third delegation of American diplomats that arrived in Taiwan. What are they doing? Yep. Escalating things even more. Uh, Uh. And and just wait till you hear about, you know, who went and and kind of the stuff that they've said in the past. So this is the third group, and Uh it's led by Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn. (sighs) All right. Is there anything we need to know about Senator Blackburn and why she was tabbed to lead this group? This completely unnecessary (laughs) provocation. So we don't, I mean, we don't, we try not to talk about politics too much, but you have Nancy Pelosi, who's a Democrat um, that went to Taiwan. Yeah. Um, You had uh, last week, another Republican that led the charge to go to Taiwan. This week, it's another uh, Republican, but there is bipartisan support on both sides of this. Okay. Um, so Senator Blackburn is a Republican from Tennessee, and she is, uh, uh, let's see, very much not a supporter of China. So does that mean she's vocal about her stance? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So she sent out a tweet in December okay. of 2020. All right. Where she stated that China has a 5,000 year history of cheating and stealing. And that did not sit well with China. So China's state-owned media responded by saying it was one of the most racist comments on Twitter. And then they called her some colorful language. I am not going to repeat on here, but I'll tell you uh, after the show. Oh my gosh! Please, I want to. <laughs> I want. <laughs> I didn't have any. And she's got a lot of nerve talking about cheating and stealing. Well, with yes. a country that's literally how this country came to be. <laughs> That's basically how every country has come to be, honestly. Anyways, so she's leading this delegation. That's really great. I'm so excited for her. Uh, I do want to hit on what you said before. Yes, every country was founded 
on that taking went. the land through force. So yeah. And, and somebody, I, you know, somebody installing themselves as the, you know, leader and then, you know, using their power to control the people of those countries. Actually, countries didn't exist <laughs> at first. So could they could they put in a could they install an illegitimate proxy government? <laughs> Maybe. I, I see what you did there. Now, I'm going to okay. say and I, I'm sure everybody already knows, but I'll put it yeah. out there. I am not going to condone covert or overt racism. Oh my god! So you, if you're going to be racist or you're going to do racist dog whistles, I'm going to call you out. Now, yeah. What I'm also going to say is that China, uh, at least as I've as long as I've been alive over the last few decades that I have seen, and when I was in the military as an intelligence analyst, they've mm-hmm. stolen multiple pieces of equipment and technology as well as U.S. intelligence to further yeah. the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, also, they had spi- they had spies in Homa that got arrested. Which exactly. I don't know what the heck they're stealing from freaking Homa. <laughs> We've got to do that story because that's uh, quite a fun story. Um, yeah, because your dad actually knew. Yeah, those knew. people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll get offline after this and discuss. I, I want to do we'll that discuss. story. Okay, but okay. uh, so yeah, I mean. All of that, they've stolen U.S. intelligence. They've done all this kind of stuff. And they're also now moving up their desired timeline for invasion of Taiwan. They had said previously over the last few decades that by 2050, they wanted to go back into Taiwan and reestablish a full Chinese communist government. They've moved that up to 2025. Oh. So what does that mean? That's Uh going to mean war with China. Um, And the U.S. can do one of two things. Yeah. Uh, they can just let it happen, allow Taiwan to be swallowed up by the uh, uh, Chinese Communist Party, or they can stand firm in their defense of the island. And right now, it looks like they're standing firm, and that's what the current White House platform is. Well, that's three years away. I know. And the plans are already in place. Both the U.S. and China have plans in place. And I, I can say definitively that the U.S. has been wargaming this for years. And is either country prepared for conflict? I mean, you can never really be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was, was the great statement from um, Donald Rumsfeld? You mm-hmm. go to war with the war, with the army you have, not the army that you want. Yeah. And we're seeing this play out in Ukraine. Uh, Russia wasn't prepared, and they yeah. invaded. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's not always the one the country getting attacked that's not prepared. Yeah. Um, only time's going to tell how this plays out in the Pacific. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Now, I'm trying to remember the topics you mentioned at the beginning. Are there any that are possibly good news? <laughs> no, I don't really think we have any this week. Uh, I did okay. want to, uh, we talked about this before. Our yeah. our friends back in Louisiana have, uh, Josh and Jacob have a podcast, Echocast. Yeah. If you like movies, if you're into movies, 
Um, they do really good reviews, but oh, they, look at so they, they really do. I mean, yeah. uh, Jacob was, uh, he went to college for, for film, so he oh. understands it. I like those guys. Yes. And like they talked them. about our show. And so I want to say thanks to those guys for yeah. still listening. Um, thanks for the follow. Uh, but they gave me an idea for a new tagline for this podcast um, because they were talking about it. And, and Jacob asked if it was if it was terrible. Josh said, no, it's not terrible. And he said, no, no, is the news terrible? And I said, yeah, it's pretty terrible. So I wanted a new tagline for this to be, hey, guys, the news is terrible. The podcast is OK. But the podcast is OK. Just OK. Hey, we got five stars on Spotify. So what? I didn't know that. Maybe it's great. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, we're not going to toot our own horns, right? We're just going to bring you the news. Okay, give us bad news then. Okay. Let's get <laughs> more bad news. All right. All right. So like I mentioned in the beginning, um, mm-hmm. we're going to harp on the U.S. a little bit. Uh, call the call the U.S. out and call Iran out. Um, yeah. Because they've been lobbing missiles at various locations in Syria. Well, that doesn't sound good at all. It's not. Um, so that's putting people in danger, tr- U.S. troops, uh, mm-hmm. Syrian civilians, Iranian people. Um, and it's, uh, it definitely falls in the terrible news category. Well, can you give us more details on the situation there? As terrible as it is, I can give more details. Um, oh. Recently, Iran fired missiles at a base in Syria where U.S. troops are stationed. So then what do the U.S. have to do? Yeah. They had to retaliate this week, right? So... They uh, had strikes targeting infrastructure facilities used by groups affiliated with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Um, Obviously, Iran condemned the attacks, and this comes at a time. So if you remember last week, the Iran nuclear deal is at the pinnacle of discussion. Yeah. We said that Iran viewed the last few conditions as easy to agree to, but now those same officials are saying the deal could be off completely. Oh, goodness. Also... Uh, Israel's playing a part in this. Um, they've been targeting Iranian sites in Syria and also condemning the U.S. and Iran on uh, any talks on the Iran nuclear deal. And that's going to complicate things even more. Uh, uh, you sorry. okay there? I was doing my best <laughs> Tina impression. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, I'm not even going to ask. If it's time for History's Mysteries, I am telling you it is time for History's Mysteries, and it better not be depressing. All right. Um, first, before we get into that, uh, the state of geopolitical affairs is terrible and yeah. concerning. Uh, I, so Tiana and I are not trying to cause even more concern with these, with these topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're trying to do is uh, we think that these things need to be highlighted, and if we continue to speak out about these things, events or get ahead of these terrible conflicts maybe some of them can be prevented yeah so what we're not going to do is you know sensationalize these events uh, i'm not going to put out these wild conspiracy theories um to try like to make about try to... weather machines yes yes he is <laughs> always going to stop me from doing that <laughs> always um because i don't want um, I, I don't want to sensationalize these events, get everybody all this uh, anger and fear drummed up for more listeners. That's not what we're here for. But we're also not going to bury our heads in the sand and just let them happen. So yeah. I hope that comes through. I hope everyone continues to interact and get the word out. So we're going to go on to History's Mysteries. And mm-hmm. a, I think it's a pretty cool story about a Soviet spy 
that tried to prevent Hitler's Nazi party from invading European countries. You said tried. Tried. So basically what you were talking about a few seconds ago. Uh, yeah, kind of. And, uh, you know, even though he failed, I'm mm-hmm. going to say after reading his story, he's far better at his job than I am. So if he failed, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but his name was Richard Sorge, and he was a German journalist and Soviet military intelligence officer. A savvy military <laughs> intelligence officer. Very savvy, very. <laughs> That's an um, inside joke. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and I get a chuckle out of it every time. But yeah, he, um, so Sorge worked undercover as a German journalist in Nazi Germany, uh, but is most known for his work with the Empire of Japan, where he provided information about Adolf Hitler's plan to attack the Soviet Union. He would also then give the Soviet Union information that Japan actually had no desire to attack the Soviets. Um, He actually fought for Germany in the First World War, uh, but he became disillusioned to the right-wing nationalism, you know, that started the war in Germany. Yeah. So what does that do? That makes you start to read Karl Marx. Swing the other direction. Exactly. The pendulum (laughs) swings, and he became a communist. Okay. Um, Due to those views... He was fired from jobs as a teacher and a coal miner, which, I mean, you, you can be a coal, a coal, communist coal miner, I think. But <laughs> as, as soon as he was fired from that job, he was then recruited by the Soviet Union to be a spy, which he started spying for the Soviet Union in 1920. Probably because he was a communist. Exactly. <laughs> so They have the names of every communist. So let's get to how he learned about Hitler's attack on the Soviet Union. All right. So uh, from his embassy contacts, he was actually able to learn about Operation Barbarossa, which Mm -hmm. is the imminent Axis invasion of the Soviet Union. He also actually found out the approximate date. Um, On 30 May 1941, he reported to Moscow that Berlin informed General Eugene Ott whose wife Sorge seduced. Just oh. a little nugget of information for the listeners. Is that perhaps how he got Could have information? A little pillow talk action going on. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but he found out that a German attack will commence in the latter part of June, um, and that Ott was 95% certain war would break out. So what happened? Well, uh, Stalin was provided this bit of intelligence, and he was actually provided this from a few intelligence officers. And mm-hmm. so he ridiculed Sorge and his information. Then, on June 22nd, the date Sorge provided to Stalin for the attack, guess what happens? Uh, the Germans invade Russia. Oh, my goodness. So, little, uh, let's toot, I'm going to toot my horn here. Of yeah. all intelligence, savvy intelligence officers. Yeah, all former savvy intel, whatever. Yes. I, don't remember the, I don't remember the words anymore. <laughs> The moral of the story is, listen to your intelligence officers. Um, you don't have to believe it, but have a plan in place, you know, whether you believe them Especially or not. Especially if they're banging the wives of the... Oh, then you really know it's true intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to Sorge? Oh, sorry. That is all the time we have no, 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 no. Tell me what happened to him. You told me you didn't want a depressing history's mysteries. All right, how did he die? All right. Okay, get to it. As the war progressed, 
he became more visible to the Japanese. Because uh, you Jap- said he failed, so I mean, finish yeah, the story. He, he did. Um, okay. The Japanese began to suspect that he was operating an intelligence ring. Um, he's actually coming under increasing suspicion in Berlin. Um, mm-hmm. So by 1941, Joseph Messinger, um, if anybody's a history buff, you know, the butcher of Warsaw. Yes. He was a resident at the German embassy in Tokyo at that time. And so he began monitoring Sorge's activities. Um, Sorge befriended Messenger to kind of assuage any ideas that he was a spy. But Messenger or Messinger noticed the close relationship Sorge had with Ott, the general we talked about before. Yeah. And he reported back to Berlin that Ott and Sorge were now so close that all reports from Berlin were most likely acquired by Sorge. Um, he was arrested in October of 1941 in Tokyo. Mm. Uh, so in, initially, Japan actually thought he was a German intelligence agent, but Germany confirmed he had no affiliation with them. Then in um, he was he was arrested, tortured, uh, put in jail, kept in jail until November of 1944, where he was hanged for his association as a Soviet spy. And at the time, they they had a fuel shortage, so they. They were not um, cremating anybody, so they just threw him in a mass grave in Tokyo. Aye. But in 1949, Sorge's uh, Japanese lover, uh, Hanako Ishii, recovered his skeletal remains from that mass grave, cremated mm-hmm. them, and interred his ashes in uh, Tama Cemetery in Tokyo. Uh, f- funny thing, she kept his teeth, his belt, and his spectacles and she also made a ring out of Aww. his gold bridge work, which she wore for the rest of her life. Oh, she must have really loved him. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, and, and I said Japanese lover. They, um, they called her a widow. They, they never got married, but yeah. they continued to call her a widow. Um, and while the they Soviet were spiritually united, they were very much yeah. so. I mean. To do that kind of stuff, to go yeah. in, um, and not to go too deep into it, but the way that she found his remains was he had broke, he had a, a poorly reset broken leg, mm-hmm. and she was able to find him by searching. Uh, I was about to ask how she knew which body was his, since it was a mass grave, and, and that's how close they were. You know, so this wasn't a Japanese lover. I guess that's not the right terminology for yeah. it. Um, yeah. She, they were very close with each other. Okay. Um, and so while the Soviet Union denied he worked as a spy until 1965, yeah. um, the Soviet government actually awarded Sorge the title of Hero of the Soviet Union. That is sort of the Medal of Honor of the Soviet Union. Yeah. It's the highest distinction. Um, they actually also gave Hanako a Soviet and Russian pension until her death in July 2000. So okay. kind of got a pseudo happy ending there. Bittersweet yeah, kind guess, of thing. Yeah. Bittersweet's yeah, hap- probably the better term. <laughs> yeah, happy isn't the term that I would use. <laughs> okay. But anything else for this week? Yeah, after that, we are out of time this week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple and Spotify and give us a review because those help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, woo! And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oaklandanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.